0: Hey, 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 welcome to another episode of the Grinding True Crime Podcast with your host, Matty Matt, along with the the great narrator,
1: Todd Fox,
0: and we're missing our other guest of the show, Big Rene, having some technical difficulties. He may join on the show later on today, but in the meantime, us two are just going to hold it down, so we are live, ready, and about to get this thing started, but before we do, to let you guys know, you can find our previous shows on iHeartRadio. Look us up on Spotify and Podbean. You can find us under Grinding True Crime Podcast. Listen to our past shows in the past. Some that are very cringeworthy. Some that are very... Things that make you just get mad. Some shows he's, he's talked about makes you just mad. But <laughs> listen to those shows and you can uh, catch up on us right now. So this time. We're going to get into it. I tried to get Todd to tell me briefly what this one's about, but he wouldn't tell me. So I'm itching to find out what this story is. So without further ado, go ahead, Todd, take it away.
1: All right. This is the story of Charles Whitman, the original masked uh, shooter. Um, Mm -hmm. We all remember from a couple of years ago, unfortunately, in Vegas, the the shooting from the uh, Mandalay Bay. Yeah. Yeah, this one, this one was the original one where I think the guy from Mandalay Bay it was influenced by this guy, Charles Whitman. Ooh. So <clears throat> Charles Whitman was born on June 24th, 1941 in Lake Worth, Florida, the eldest of three sons born to Margaret E. Hodges and Charles Adolphus Whitman, Sr. Okay. Um, Whitman's father uh, was raised in an orphanage in Savannah, Georgia and described himself as a self-made man. Uh, He was very hard on Whitman and beat um, Whitman's mom several times in front of the children. Ooh, so he probably traumatized. Yeah, yeah, that was something that, remember his father because this will come up later. Okay. Um, As a boy, Whitman was described as a polite child who seldom lost his temper but he was extremely intelligent he had an iq of 132. well that's a smart one right there it is it is um actually no his iq was 139. Even so, yeah super smart kid <laughs> uh Whit- whitman's academic achievements were encouraged by his parents um but he had a lethargic attitude sometimes um, and often would be beat by his father because of it. Um, so his
0: dad was just abusive to everybody then?
1: Yeah, he was a jackass, big time. Um, Margaret Whit- Whitman was devout Roman Catholic, raised her sons in the same religion. The Whitman brothers regularly attended mass and uh, with a mother, and three brothers served as altar boys in a sacred heart Roman Catholic church locally in Texas. Um Whitman uh, Sr. was a firearms collector and enthusiast who taught his sons how to shoot, clean, and maintain weapons. All right. So he regularly took them on hunting trips. Charles became an avid hunter and a really good marksman by the time he was in his teens. Um, his, sol- his father would say to him, "Charlie, could could you uh, could plug the eye out of a squirrel?" by the time he was 16, meaning he could shoot a squirrel from like hundreds of yards away. Hey. Yeah, he was just, he was a dead dead eye. Um, so in high school, so I'm scrolling here through my notes. September 1st, 1955, Whitman uh, entered St. Ann's High School in West Palm Beach uh, in Florida, when they moved to Florida, where he was regarded as a moder- moderately popular student Whose intelligence was noted by teachers and peers. Um, by the next by the next month, he had a newspaper route where he uh, saved his money to buy a Harley Davidson motorcycle.
0: Now, see, as of right now, he's the type of person that I will be trying to get cool with. I will I will want to be his friend. Yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly right. See, he's he's your kind of guy right now.
0: Yeah, right now he's my kind of guy. Smart, cute, cool, popular. All right.
1: Yeah, yeah so um with that being said um he did something without telling his father in 1959 he uh upon graduating graduating from high school um whitman told his family that uh that he would like to enlist in the marine corps which he did okay and uh he did not uh, the family didn't appreciate that since he didn't consult them and he just went straight out of high school into the marines
0: so they were they weren't cool
1: with it the dad the mom no no because they i mean they wanted him to start a career of some sort but he just went straight into the, the military all right um so in 1959 um he had an 18 month service from 59 to 60 where he earned a sharpshooter's badge in the marine Co- uh, corps expo- uh, expeditionary medal he achieved uh by hitting 215 of 250 possible points of, on marksmanship tests, which were mo- moving at rapid distances. Damn. Yeah, so he was hitting stuff just dead on. A okay, Hawkeye. Yep, yep <laughs> pretty much. Um, he continued to uh, learn get more medals and, and, and get more appraised uh, by uh, scoring high scores on um, required examinations by um, uh, colleges and in marine testing and well he entered he used that to enter texas university in the city of austin texas in okay.
0: 1961
1: as a mechanic uh, in a mechanical engineering program um he had he had just a whole bunch of things going for him at this time he was you know in college he was a, a, a marksman everything just was working right his hobbies included karate scuba diving gambling and hunting and uh, shortly after his uh, enrollment to university, Whitman and two friends observed um, uh, them poaching deer, or he was caught for for um, poaching deer without a license, basically. So he was fined a hundred bucks, and that was his first offense. Okay. Uh, so anyway, um, he he would have some he would start to have some problems in this in this uh, period of time. Although keeping a sound mind, he started getting these things where um, he was with his his buddies at the university, he looked up at the clock tower and he said, "What if one day someone went up there and just I bet you they have such a great view of the entire university? you could pick off people one by one, and no one Uh-oh. would stop you yeah, oh <laughs> so his friends somewhere thought. <laughs> His friends didn't think much of it, but that's an odd thing to say, correct?
0: I I totally agree. I would have to say so. So in February uh,
1: 1962, a 20-year-old Whitman met Kathleen Frances Leisier, an education major two years his junior. Uh, Lesser was Whitman's first serious girlfriend. They uh, they courted for five months before he uh, proposed to her. Then in August of '62, they got married in a Catholic church in Needville, Texas. The couple chose the 22nd anniversary of his of Whitman's parents' uh, anniversary to get married. Um, so they were, you know, they were doing good at this point. Um, let's see. Then uh, let's see. As we go down, he started having problems in what he you call it, in the in military. Or, or, or while he was going back and forth from college to military, he started okay. to um, loan money to some of his, uh, sort of as loan sharking to some of his buddies in the uh, military. And he would kind of like take advantage of them with high interest, you know, and th- some of those guys started complaining to the COs and, and, or MOs. M- MOs? Yeah, they were getting mad. And they were, you know, he started just treating some of his fellow uh, cadets with a little bit of uh disrespect punking him he's a big guy you know and hey. basically you know he started to get a reputation so he kind of left the military at this time um, and he started to have these these problems to where he would have uh, he, t- he started talking to a counselor because he was getting reoccurring headaches And a psychiatrist, he was trying different medicines, aspirins. And he told the psychiatrist that he was having visions of wanting to go into the tower and starting havoc. If something like that is told to one of us nowadays or to a psychiatrist nowadays, what happens? Oh, we probably get arrested, have a police
0: officer come and check us out and take us to the station.
1: Yeah, all that and plus get admitted to freaking site. Uh, psychiatric hospital at least right yeah that, that would it? be considered a
0: terrorist attack nowadays too
1: oh yeah because everyone's on edge with stuff like that they're not gonna want that to fly you know
0: yeah so let me guess what happened here he said that and she just said okay Catch yeah pretty up. much <laughs>
1: see see you're you're on board with how this show works man <laughs> there's the, there's his break I <laughs> There's the break that he needed. He needed someone to just be like, "All right, you know, <laughs> go about your business." <laughs> Who am I to say anything?
0: Wow! So they just let him go. They just let him go. Wow. They're all
1: they're all see me next week, Charles. Wow! I wonder where he's
0: getting this vision from. Like, like I wonder what happened for him to have this vision.
1: Well, I don't know. I'll, I'll, well, I do know, but I I got to get to the okay. other part of the story. Okay. Um. So let me see, because my notes are all over the place. Because I before this show started, you know, my daughter magically erased the stuff that I had on here. So
0: it happens, man.
1: Yeah, yeah, it happens. <laughs> but uh, let's see. Let me get into here. I'm looking through my stuff.
0: Yeah, this is the psychiatric.
1: Yes. Just, okay. So. Uh... Let's see. He had written. He had written a uh, suicide letter, um, because of the violent impulses that have been coming over him over the previous uh, couple weeks, and he just decided that he had to do something. This is time for him to um, basically just make his exit.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, um, what he did was he wrote a suicide letter explaining everything that he was gonna do and the two people that mattered to him in the most to him the most was his mother and his, and, and his wife and his wife. Oh his wife, I'm sorry. And so he wanted to basically write out a manifesto of what he was gonna do and mm-hmm. then blame his father for all the troubles and stuff that he was gonna have to uh, you know that he had to go through. Now is his
0: father still alive at this point?
1: Yeah, his father's still okay. alive. Okay, but the mom and dad broke up in 1966. So prior to, um, and it was because of the violent tendencies of the father and all this. So it was a nasty divorce, right? Mm-hmm. So on August 1st, 1966, after writing this letter, his letter was basically written to also say that he did he wanted to spare his mom and his wife of the crap that was going to come out and the backlash from what he was going to embark on. Okay. So, on August 1st, 1966, um, he tra- He went to his, his wife's house, or to his house, and after, you know, one in the morning, and he basically beat and stabbed his wife to death. What? Yes. The one he cared about the most? The one he cared about the most, he beat and stabbed to death. Wow yes okay so um so then he just just, he snapped no basically well he didn't want he didn't want them to to live through what he was gonna do like he had everything already planned out okay and then uh he wound up going to um his mom's house
0: don't tell me he did the same thing
1: bashed her heads in um basically with a, about a crowbar or whatever. Huh? And, you know, left a the note there with her too and he didn't want to see the, he didn't want, he wanted to spare them the humiliation. He stabbed her in the chest as well, four times. Wow. Later that morning, Whitman rented a hand truck and cashed in $250, um, uh, which was an equivalent to $2,000 in 2019 worth of bad checks at a bank. He then drove to a hardware store where he purchased 30 caliber universal M1 carbine, two additional boxes of magazines, and eight boxes of ammunition, telling the cashier that he planned to hunt wild dogs, or hogs. Wow, yeah okay. Yeah, at a gun shop, he purchased four more carbine magazines, six additional boxes of ammunition, and a can of cleaning solvent. At Sears he purchased a uh, model 60 12 gauge semi-automatic shotgun before uh, going home. So uh, it, like, he mm-hmm. purchased
0: all these items
1: mm-hmm. in one day. In one day. Mm-hmm.
0: And his explanation is, "I'm hunting wild hawks."
1: Mm-hmm. And what do you th- what do you think the guy at Sears said?
0: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, this man, like, okay, this is me. If somebody, you gotta think of the times too. If somebody mm-hmm. comes to the store and purchases all this mini ammunition and all this guns, mm-hmm. I might not say something to him because hey, you do you. But I will alert someone. Be like, you know what? Hey, I know a customer came in. He purchased this many amount of ammunition. Thought it was a little suspicious. Maybe someone should check in on this. Call the authority. Something. Alert someone. Mhm. But
1: know? no, he didn't. They didn't do any of that. Wow. That all seems logical. And you think for 1966, you're basically not saying, okay, look it up on a computer because it's not there. Don't fingerprint them. But you're using a sound, uh, what is it does? Sound of mind reasoning. Yeah. These people did not So I guess it was Texas and they thought everyone's packing. So that is true. It is Texas. But he, check this out. He also packed coffee, vitamins, Dixcedrin. Uh, Excedrin earplugs, jugs of water, matches, liquid, fluid, rope, binoculars, a machete, three knives, a, tra- <laughs> a transistor radio, toilet paper, uh, teepee, I guess, um, <laughs> a razor, and a bottle of deodorant. And this is the best part, though. Ding! He had, he got a uh, can of spam. Oh, that's that. Not- <laughs> 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 That's my guy. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's again, he he's still your guy after murdering two people?
0: Oh, uh, I'm I'm just talking <laughs> about fam. Well, he, he
1: <laughs> okay, just making sure, just making sure. No, no, no. no. <laughs> so, at approximately 11:25 a.m. the day of August 1st, Whitman arrived at the University of Texas Austin where he showed false research assistant identification to a, obtain a po- parking uh, permit. Mm-hmm. Whitman wheeled his equipment toward the main building of the university. Nobody questioning him. Entering the main building, Whitman found an elevator did not work. An employee, Vera Palmer, activated it for him. Whitman thanked Palmer, stating, thank you, ma'am, before repeatedly saying, you don't know how happy this makes me. Because mm. the clock tower is pretty damn tall. It's mm-hmm. It's it's 27 floors. Mm-hmm. So it overlooks the entire university. Wait, wait, no lie, when you mention the clock tower,
0: all I can think of is a Doc from uh, Back to the Future.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <like, no> <laughs> well, that's it's like 25 floors higher than that one. Dang. Yeah. So exiting the elevator on the 27th floor, he hauled the dolly equipment up the flight stairs from the uh from which another flight led uh to because there's one floor it's it's 27 floors and then there's one more floor you have to go upstairs to get Mm -hmm. to the actual observatory to where you can look around the entire uh four corners of the tower over the university so hopefully you get a good um uh what do you call it in other words, you couldn't have did that walking up the stairs. <laughs> no, you couldn't do it, all those floors. You only had to do one flight once you got to the top. Dang. So this is where he encountered the receptionist, a uh, receptionist Edna Townsley. Uh, she's 51. She wow. was at the observing uh, observation deck. She's going to let you up to the next flight of stairs. Whitman knocked Townsley to the floor and split the back of her skull with the butt of his rifle then struck her, oh. struck her above the eye uh, before dragging her behind the couch as cheryl botts and don walton entered the reception area from the observation deck waldman noticed whitman's guns and assumed that he was going to the observation deck to shoot pigeons whitman smiled hi how are you as they went down to the elevator he then pushed a desk across the entrance of the stairway uh mike michael garborough um no wait sure uh yeah so then so then uh mj garborough his wife um francis garborough and their sons mike and mark were in austin's visiting uh, in austin texas visiting mj's sister margaret and her husband Uh william laporte at 11.45 a.m., they were climbing the last flight of stairs up there as well, from the 27th floor. When they encountered the desk uh, that Whitman had flipped over mm-hmm. uh, at the entrance of the reception area, as, Mark, as Mike and Mark squeezed past Whitman uh, coming forward, or uh, squeezed past the table, Whitman came forward and fired his gun, hitting Mike in the shoulder and Mark in the head. Then, then fired down in the stairs, striking Margaret and Mary Francis. MJ and William farther down the stairs were not hit and went for help uh, at Mike's urging because they were all stuck at that point in the staircase. Dang. So Margaret Laporte was killed. She was 45 years old. Uh, 16-year-old Martin Mark Garber was a high school student. He was 16. He was killed. Dang. The father was uh, 19. He was injured. He was a US, uh, what is it called? Uh, Army pilot, too. So let's see. Let's see where I left off here. All right, so they went down um, before exiting at Mike's, before he died or whatever. No, he was injured, Mike, the father. Mike was telling the other kids to leave, head out, whatever, down the deck. Um, let's see, Mary Frances, who was hit, was paralyzed from the the waist down and, or the neck down and legally blind after that. So, <laughs> yeah, she didn't, she didn't fare too good. Um, at 1148, here's where it really gets sucky, dude. Um, Welcome. 1148 AM, if it hasn't been sucky enough as it is, um, Whitman began shooting off the top of the observation deck, which is two hundred and thirty one feet above the ground. targeting
0: people. people.
1: Yeah, the first person he hits, he sees a couple. It's a pregnant woman with uh, that's oh. eight years pregnant walking with her boyfriend. she She gets shot directly through the stomach. Oh She hits the ground as he goes to comfort her because he has no idea what's going on he's shot in the chest and dies right next to her within seconds she's freaking out on the floor and she would remain there for over 45 minutes Dang. during this entire shooting because nobody could get to her except one woman who would see her 25 minutes later still on the ground in agony and in pain yelling for her baby and for help for her her boyfriend Mm-hmm. woman would crawl next to her, pretending that she was shot, just to hold her hand and comfort her until eventually police would get her out of there. But I'll follow up on that in a little bit. Okay. Um, so he began to shoot down towards the coffee shops and bookstores where the students would hang out. Wilson was the first person to be shot. And like I said, she was eight months pregnant. The baby was shot. I mean, it was a dead shot, killed the baby in her stomach. Damn. Um Then, uh, let's see, the person that laid next to her was Rita Separatin. Mm-hmm. She laid with her for 45 minutes, like I said, to comfort her uh, and keep her conscience and not to bleed out.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: let's see. Um, she was, well, I'll just say it right now. She was eventually carried out and she would remain hospitalized for three months, but she survived. That's um, the one. Yeah, the okay. pregnant woman. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, Boyer, the third person shot from the tower, was struck in the lower back. Hoffman was shot next in the arm, and fell to the ground, uh, fe- uh, fearing death. Uh, what is it called? feigning death? Uh, getting away from death. I'm sorry. Secretary Charlotte uh, Dorsey came under fire as she was hit to help Boyer and Huffman, who were uh, the third and fourth victims. She was hit uh, between the um, the back and was injured. She laid there for a good half hour. Uh, let's see, Matt, Madison, Einkel, and Herman were walking to lunch, and a bullet went through Rist's uh, arm and into his, uh, his buddy's leg. Kelly, hey. yeah, she was shot in the leg, and they had to run into the shop. He's just picking off people left and right at this point. So,
0: so by now, do they know where it's coming from or who it
1: is? Yeah, they're all they're all up in um, what do you call it, um, the clock tower. Okay. Yeah. So they're they're getting they're getting shot left and right here. Oh, uh, Thomas Frederick Aikman, He was 18. He was killed. He was shot as well. He was shot in the head. Um, they're all everyone's just trying to run for for safety. They just can't get out of the way. Um, then Thomas, uh, uh, Thomas Aquinas Ashton was 22. He was struck in the chest, would die, um, on the concrete just minutes later because there was no one around to get him out of there. Um, Robert Hamilton Boyer was also shot. He was, uh, uh, um, shot in the back and would also bleed out on the concrete because again, everyone scattered and no one could get to him. Uh, he was a teacher there. He was 33 years old. Uh, there was 64-year-old Homer J. Uh, Kelly was uh, shot and injured. But she survived. Uh, Nancy Harvey, 21, she was shot when she actually was sitting behind a rock that had great block from the, like it was it was one of those big boulders like with an encryption on it. Yeah. And so she had as long as she stayed behind the rock, mm-hmm. she thought she was safe, and she was. She stayed there for 25 minutes. The exact moment that she peered to see if the coast was cleared, shot in the head. Dang! a 23-year-old police officer, first to arrive, saw shooting coming from the tower. Mm -hmm. He got out of his car and began to radio in what he saw, was shot in the head, and killed instantly. Um. It's just going down the list of all these. There's a, another person that was killed here, a 17-year-old. Karen Griffin was shot in the chest and uh, in the lung. She died. So uh, days, everybody. Days. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's shooting people left and right, dude, because in total, he's going to kill um, 16 people, and he injures 33. God.
0: I kind of have a feeling how he's going to go out, but i'm gonna wait to see if it's true well
1: at this point you know i'm not going to go through all the victims on here because they pretty much have like the same kind of things like they they just have a uh, an instance where they don't think that you know they see him shooting from one side of the because they don't know at this point here let me paint the picture for you too so the tower has four tops on top plus a pyramid shape that oval that goes into the air right like a cap there's four corners to it around it on the observation deck okay he first went up there he took all those guns he put one gun on each side of the the the, uh, building he would pick up a gun take a few shots or find a couple targets then run to the other side of the the tower do the same thing and then run to the other side of the tower so Uh, yeah the people below thought that there was multiple shooters dang so this uh, that's why he was smart yeah, he was smart in that sense. So what happens is, the police are scrambling. They're hiding behind, you know, they're they're they're, they're trying to call out the the paramedics and all these people are coming, but nobody can get anywhere close because they see people trying to help other people and they're getting picked off one by one. So they're they're like, okay, we're gonna call in and uh one of those tank. What is it called? The um That's those the bank, heart. one of those bank uh, vehicles, the armored cars. Oh. Yeah, they're going to call a couple of those in to try to start, you know, uh, yeah, okay. taking the bodies out. And then they actually call in an airplane. The police, the Texas Rangers have a, an airplane. They start shooting at the tower. And he's such a good marksman, he hits the plane three times. It's too dangerous. They have to leave. Wow. So then the police are still trying to come up with an idea. And, they, you know, they bring their rifles, a couple uh, police officers... Who, whose names will be living in infamy, I'll get to them in a minute. Okay. Um, they they decide that they're going to go, they're not going to listen to the police that are waiting. Something's got to be done because now people, it's all over the radio. This is 96 minutes of terror, by the way. Okay. So an hour and a half, this guy's going to be shooting up there. 45 minutes into an a- into hour. Yeah, so think about how when something dangerous happens or an earthquake happens, one minute feels like 50.
0: Yeah.
1: Imagine imagine an hour and a half of just this guy just shooting and, and you know what I mean, like just terrorizing this area. Dang. So in Texas, everyone has guns, basically. Yeah. All the neighboring counties, people come, civilians, bring their shotguns, start hiding behind cars and shooting towards the tower. So the tower is getting shot left and right. There's, but, but it's on such an angle, there's no way they're going to hit him. No way they're going to hit him. All they're yeah. doing basically is just trying to stop him from shooting. Yeah. And nobody can get close. They try, a few people try to get close to the tower entrance. They're shot. Dang. So what happens is the armored car comes to get the pregnant woman who was originally shot. She's still there? still there wow so she's bleeding out that chick is still holding her hand trying to comfort her and she's staying still like she's shot and the poor thing you know when they finally get to her that truck is starting to get lit up but they have enough cover to get her out of there and she's asking for her boyfriend but they they got to tell her they got to leave him he's already gone he's been gone yeah and so they get her out of there they get the woman out of there as well that was by her side which she stayed with her for three days in the hospital too that woman was like her angel guardian angel that's pretty impressive yep so you had two police officers which will start an argument that will come that will last for years until one of them actually passes they're still they still argued about it uh it was officer martinez and officer houston mccoy both of them along with a citizen with a rifle stormed the got through the shootings while they were being distracted by the you know he was being distracted by the armored car Mm -hmm. they made it to the base of the tower and they began to climb the uh, the stairs because they didn't want to take the elevator and so while all this is happening you know an hour and 15 minutes into the whole shooting they're making their way up the tower they're the only ones making their way up the tower okay so when they finally get to the to the 27th floor, they see. They start to see the carnage. They start to see the bodies of the the family that he shot at. The, the two are still wounded there. Two are dead. Um, the receptionist is dead. So there's three already right there. And then they say that you know the ones that are wounded, they're like, there's only one more floor to go, which is the the top observation deck. So they climb up the stairs and both the they basically tell the the um they don't know what they're facing they don't know what they're facing at all they don't know um you know basically if there's multiple shooters at this point still nobody knows Mm -hmm. so the two police officers mccoy and martinez tell the civilian look cover the door if anything comes back at you shoot no matter what so basically the one door going out McCoy says, I'm gonna go left. Martinez says I'm gonna go right. And they're gonna come around and try to pin whoever's shooting out there or the shooters on the deck. They're gonna take both both ways, right? Mm-hmm. Try to try to go around. So they told the civilian, hey, if they get past us, shoot them as they come in. So with that being said, the civilian was very scared. He had a shotgun pointed at the door, like, all right, man, like that door opens, I'm I'm, I'm firing that, you know, he's he's freaking out. But the other two uh, officers, bravely as they did, slowly went around the corner of the of the clock tower. Looked, Martinez looked to his left, which was the left side; McCoy to his right, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Didn't see nothing, but they could see the smoke from the guns shooting off. So on the very up south side of the tower, the shooter or shooters were right there. They crept along the walls and then getting within feet of the final wall side of the tower, looked and saw Charles Whiteman reloading his his semi-automatic gun. Mm
0: -hmm. They
1: They both shot, striking him multiple times, and he died right there in front of them, right? Okay, I was wrong. So the cops got him, and then they had to call, and have the civilian call and tell him, all right, the situation's been neutralized. Tell the people on the ground, to stop shooting because the bullets were flying just above their heads still mm. from down there. They didn't know that the shooter had <laughs> already been killed. So once, once the, the, you know, the uh, all is well signal was given, everyone stormed the area to try to get the people out that were dying or shot mm-hmm. and multiple rounds had hit multiple people. And like I said, uh, 33 people were wounded, 16 were killed. Crazy. Yeah, and the guy was like pinpointing, you know, just accurate. He was so good at shooting. Um, the reason why it was a controversy between the two police officers is because both of them wanted the credit for the murder or for the kill. Oh. Uh. So to their dying day, at least to McCoy, who died a couple years back. I think it was 2011. Uh, he was still trying to, to um, be credited with the shooting. And so was Martinez. They were both still arguing about it. His body, and here's why they never really understood who got the kill shot, is because the governor and of Texas wanted him cremated right away. However, so the body was cremated or disposed of, mm. but, but in the manifesto that Whiteman wrote, It specifically says that his last wish was for his brain to be examined because he didn't feel right for a while, and he felt that there was something wrong with him. Dang. So his brain was saved, but his body was never autopsied to where they could figure out, okay, which bullet came from which gun, and which killed him. Yeah. Dang. So you want to? So your question again, Maddie? Matt loves to jump ahead because he's so smart. Because you are, dude. You you already you already were jumping ahead. Like, I wonder what was wrong with him, or if there was anything. Well, wrong.
0: <coughs> well, I did I did have a theory, but I was proven wrong. I thought he was going to take the coward way out and commit suicide. Didn't expect them to uh, him to get shot through, you know, a battle. So I was wrong on that theory. But but I go,
1: go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead but you were right because you were thinking okay there has to be something more to this so that's why i was like damn it matt you did it again (laughs) (laughs) well let me see they examined his
0: head they realized he had cte or something
1: well cte wasn't really a thing back then but you're right. right as far as examining his brain can you guess what they found i'll give you one more crack at it a tumor bingo Bingo. Dang. They said the tumor had uh, messed with his brain so bad, it was giving him those thoughts. It was giving him the twisted anger issues that he was developing. Everything. <sighs> oh. So, <laughs> you're right. The, t- mm, the, tumor. the tumor did that? The tumor did that. Yeah, it changed his whole mindset. Mm. Um, they basically said that was to blame for his erratic behavior and. His The last two years of his life, he was having problems with his wife, anger issues, everything. Wow. This guy. I mean,
0: <laughs> I mean, I still feel no pity for him for what he did, you know. I understand that you had something going on in your brain. Mm-hmm. But for you to do that, man, to kill so many innocent people and to harm so many innocent people, I I feel no remorse for that one.
1: Exactly, and here's another one that's that's kind of crazy. He he actually it actually was 15 deaths that he occurred. The 16th death happened just in 2011, believe it or not, not 2006. Oh wow! Be- because one of the bullets that struck one of the gentlemen in the the head and in the lungs he survived, but because of that bullet wound and and in the head and I think or I think it was the lungs or whatever it collapsed his lung or something like that just out of the blue and it was attributed to the shooting so it was a death that was thrown on him years later. Wow yeah after the fact Easy. but this story it, if you go deeper into it which I had notes, like I said, but were destroyed by my daughter when she was doing her schoolwork. Um, there's so many stories of heroes, not just that one girl that stayed with a pregnant woman, of a 17 year old saving a couple people that were dying if he had not gotten them off the concrete and risked his own life. He actually, there were shots that came within an inch of his forehead that, you know, he could have got him too, but he put his life out there to save a couple people. Um, there was a, the little kid that was riding um on his bike with his brother and his brother was hit in the chest and he was and he was able to to take his brother he rode him he wrote him on his bike all the way to the hospital saved his life um, there's just so many good stories of people being heroic and helping people out but
0: that's crazy man
1: yep I mean
0: could you imagine you're at, at, at school or at a campus and next thing you know, you're,
1: you're dodging bullets. Don't That's even know. A, I can't imagine that. That's a good thing to think about. Cause I mean, like, like I said earlier, dude, I, when something traumatic happens and like, remember when I told you about that guy getting hit, you know, and I had to go out there and we stayed with him for a minute. It felt Wait. like a half, it felt like a half hour. And it's like, uh, I can't imagine being in a situation like that. It's an hour and 30, hour and 45 minutes, 96 minutes, you're sitting out there, dude. And it's just constant shooting and your life's constantly in danger. You're seeing cops getting shot and and civilians shot. It's like, dude. That's crazy. Yep.
0: Yeah, that's, nah, that's crazy, man. I, you know what? <laughs> he put his skills to good use in a sense, you know? He was, like you said, he was a good marksman. He was pecking people like that. like that. I know it's not like I'm saying, like, wow, you know, that's a great skill he had, but it just shows that those who have those skills and are
1: crazy like that can really do some damage. Yep. It's like the Vegas shooting. If you think about it, that, that dude killed 58 people, and that's probably the worst, like, shooting and he had like an i mean there was like it was like shooting ducks in a in a, in a pond you know like oh, yeah. a small pond i mean he had yeah. i mean and then the fact that like same thing happened it's weird we have all this camera work like we were talking about how the hell do you smuggle all those weapons or do right. the thing things that you do and then you see what this guy did in vegas and you're like and they had cameras they had, he's bringing suitcase after suitcase in wow
0: and that's where that's where Detectiveness should come into every person. I know we in, in, live in this era where you know you just kind of like live quietly, mind your own business. But when you see when you see something happening that's very suspicious, I mean, come on. If like Todd, I, I know you're Detective Todd to me. If you saw somebody carrying thirteen or I'm not, I'm exaggerating, but you know several suitcases one by one by one, and then lock himself in, you never see him. Something got to trigger your senses.
1: Yeah, I mean, if anything, I'm going to be thinking this dude's either. I mean, look, either way, Detective Todd's going to send someone up there to check his room because either he's smuggling stuff, he's dealing drugs, or mm-hmm. he's going to go on a shooting rampage. One of the, one way or the other, I'm going to send someone up to investigate. I agree. I agree. Or, or call the police to do it. One or two. I agree. Yeah. Uh- but that's that's the. Uh, Texas University shooting of nineteen. there a movie after this guy? What's that? Were there a movie after this guy? There was a low-budget movie. Unfortunately, there, there there is a Netflix special if you want to look at it. It's the Clock Tower shootings. It's really good. It actually goes into detail. And what they do is they kind of animate it computerly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not like uh, animation drawings, but it's like computer animated. Uh, recreations of what it would what it looked like for those people to go through and what how they, it's very interesting like like their real testimony but computer uh, computer animated it's really good. Okay, we'll have to check it out.
0: Yeah, Thanks for, yeah. Thanks for that info. No. Well, this has been another episode of the Grinding True Crime Podcast. Todd broke down another story, an interesting one of the very first mass murder mass shooter that is. Um, taking place in Texas. So, if you guys like this show, uh, listen to our other shows from our past by following us on our website. Well, not our website, but on our, our, our stream, <laughs> podcast stream. Look us up on iHeartRadio, Hot Beam, Spotify. Look us up under the Grinding True Crime podcast. hmm So, with that, this is Maddie Matt signing off with your narrator. Tom Fox. And everybody, have a good one.
1: Peace. Peace.